Welcome to Cat the Conversations. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and today I have a special treat for you. I'm going to be presenting my talk I gave at St. Teresa's Catholic Church in Sugarland, Texas on King St. Ferdinand, and next week I'll be showing you my talk that I gave on Santa Maria de la Luz Camacho, who was a Cristero martyr, but today is King St. Ferdinand. It was I'm awesome. Not because of anything I said, just because of how amazing King St. Ferdinand is. He is an amazing saint, and I can't wait for you to find out about him. He never lost a single battle against the Muslims, and that is just the least of his great achievements in his life. So without further ado, I'm going to get right into the video. But before that, let me just throw in all the plugs. Don't forget to like, subscribe, uh, comment down below, any questions, comments, concerns, soapbox, negativities, positivities, or anything in between. And I can't remember anything else that I'm supposed to say in these videos. So with that, I'm going to throw so, you in. So uh, St. Vincent Ferrer, famous, I'm not talking about St. Vincent Ferrer, but I just have to mention a Dominican friar at some point. Uh, St. Vincent Ferrer, he uh, said that all of his homilies, all of his sermons, all of his talks that he ever gave were only ever successful because he began them all with a Hail Mary and ended them all with a Hail Mary. So we're going to begin with a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Okay, so today I'm going to talk to you guys about King St. Ferdinand. King St. Ferdinand, an amazing saint. And, you know, immediately as Americans, because we're all here, we're Americans, we uh, think about when we hear the word king, we're like, ooh, kings. That's not good. King's bad. Uh, and this is an erroneous idea. We kind of have this idea of a revolutionary mindset as Americans, and so we kind of reject the idea of kings. And so hopefully, after hearing about the life of King St. Ferdinand, who was perfect in everything he did, he was absolute perfection, unlike his uh, cousin, King St. Louis IX. So that was kind of awkward. King St. Louis IX uh, was a great saint, suffered very well, but he had many, many failures and lost many battles, whereas King St. Ferdinand never lost a battle in his entire life. Uh, amazing saint. So we're going to be talking to him, talking about this guy, King St. Ferdinand. He was the son of King of Lyon and the, and the son of the Queen of Castile. Uh, I'm curious and wonder if uh, that name comes from, uh, or Castillo, like Gabriel Castillo, if that, uh, his name originates from there. He might be a descendant of King St. Ferdinand. I, it's possible. It's possible. But praise be to God. So the one, one of the things that's important to note, though, is that the reason why I mentioned them separately, his mother and his father, is because they had to separate because the Pope declared their marriage uh, as void. It was not a valid marriage. Why was this? It's because they were distant cousins when they were married, and so it invalidated their marriage. And so they had to separate. So his father remained in Lyon, and his mother went back to the kingdom of Castile, where she was queen. And so King St. Ferdinand went with his mother to Castile. And his father did not like this, did not like the fact that his son was living with his wife rather than himself. Now, I don't want you to get a wrong idea about this. The Queen of Castile, she was a very, very holy woman. She repented and she was received excommunication because of what the situation that she was in. And she had a heartfelt uh, repentance for her action and became an amazing queen, a very holy woman. In fact, I personally think that she is likely a saint as well. So... When he was 10 years old, so we're going to fast forward. So if you want to read about his life, let me know. This, there's a great book on his life, excellent stuff. I won't be able to cover nearly enough of it. But the, during his life, when he was 10 years old, 
he came down with a deathly illness. His whole body was covered in sores. It was very disgusting. He smelled like he was dying. And his mother was freaking out. She didn't know what to do. And then she realized the only solution to this problem was the Blessed Virgin Mary. The only solution to saving her son's life was the Blessed Virgin Mary. So what did she do? She took her son in her arms and she carried him to the nearest shrine of the Blessed Virgin. And she, as she starts walking, the knights of the kingdom of, of Castile start coming in behind her and they start a procession. And the people in the streets, people in their homes started getting in behind them and following them down the path. And so now they have this massive procession heading towards the icon of Our Lady. They get to the statue of Our Lady. They get to the image of Our Lady. And the Queen of Castile, she takes her son, her beloved son, her only son, and she presents him to Our Lady and begs Our Lady to save his life and consecrates his life to her. And miraculously, at that moment, he's healed. And all the people who are waiting outside the shrine, watching to see what would happen, erupt in praise and thanksgiving. If you know any Spaniards, if you know people of Hispanic descent, you know uh, very loud people, very uh, emotional people, very, uh, we demonstrate our emotions very much on our faces and in our hand movements. And so everyone just erupts in applause. Everybody's freaking out. It's great. They have this huge parade bringing the child back for, to, the, to the kingdom. A beautiful, beautiful story. And since that day, King St. Ferdinand, or just Ferdinand at the time, he begins to have an ardent love for the Blessed Virgin. He starts praying the little office of Our Lady every day. He's devoted to the Holy Rosary. He's living in the time period when the mendicant orders, the Dominicans and the Franciscans, were just starting. So, before we go on any further, I want to tell you from his own words what he saw as his mission. The King of Castile... King St. Ferdinand, when he became king, it was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony that, was, that occurred in order to make him king. But before this, they had to go through a period where they prayed, they fasted, and they prepared to be knighted. And then when he was declared king, before he is doing this, he is praying and he hears our Lord tell him. So he goes, his throne was set on the side of the epistle, but he was despised, but he despised the pews and the pillows and went instead to kneel on the cold tiles in front of the altar, where his arms were deposited. He looked with love at the sword of a great knight. There was always a flow of attraction between St. Ferdinand and his swords, due to the fact that to him they were both cross and weapon, and he bent to kiss it, murmuring, Christ, my Lord, I am in thy hands the same way this sword is in mine. Show me, my king, what thou wantest of this knight." Now, you think about the sword, right? You think about a sword of a knight, how whenever we think of swords, we think of this sword, right? It has a hilt and it has a crossbar at the end. But have you ever seen other types of sword, like the swords of the Arabs, the swords of the Mohammedans? Theirs was usually in the shape of a curve. Why? Because it was a shape of a crescent moon, the shape of the symbol of Mohammedism or Islam. And so the, the, but the Catholic knights, theirs was in the shape of a cross, so that way, whenever they're going to battle, they had the cross on their mind. And so King St. Ferdinand, every time he looked at his, at his sword, he remembered the cross. It goes on, I want to make your whole life. So Christ tells him. So he's praying, and Christ starts speaking to him. And he hears the voice of Christ saying, I want to make your whole life like a representation in a marvelous parable. 
so that the coming centuries may contemplate the war that I, the eternal king and universal Lord, wage against the powers of darkness to conquer the entire earth for my father. Ferdinand, you will be the noble and considerate king who leads his vassals in this great enterprise, the courageous and mortified king who above all others charges ahead in the midst of danger and endures the strain of hard work and the fatigue of battle. You will be the generous and magnanimous king who in victory does not worry about his treasures, but distributes his spoils among his faithful knights. What a beautiful thing. Our Lord desired and made King St. Ferdinand perfect in all he did to show forth if an earthly king can do these great works, can take over nations, can rule over people, can be loved by all, could have the prudence to never wage war against Christians. He promised that he would never wage war against Christians because he said we should never fight our Christian brothers. We should do everything in our power to make sure we do not fight amongst our Christian brothers. And he was successful in every single thing he did. He was perfect in everything he did. Why was this the case? Our Lord tells him, I'm going to do this for you. So that way people will look at your life and they will realize about my kingdom. Because you may be king over Castile, you may be king of Spain, but I am the ruler of the world. I am the king of the world. And when I wage war, I wage war against the powers and principalities, the devils. And they are coming and seeking to devour, but I will conquer. In the same way that King St. Ferdinand never lost a battle. When he would go out to war, it was people would surrender before he even arrived because they knew his his record of never losing a battle. And because of this, he is an image of our Lord showing the power that our, ha- our Lord has over the powers and principalities of darkness. To go on, King St. Ferdinand, he wanted to wage war against the Muslims because the Pope had called for a holy crusade against the Mohammedans who had taken over the Holy Land, who had now at this point, they're trying to reconquest Spain against the Mohammedans. And he comes to his mother. This mother, he's just such a beautiful woman, such an amazing woman. And it shows forth for us how we should have a love for our earthly mothers, a reverence for our earthly mothers, and listen to our earthly mothers and give them deference. Because we don't know it all. We may think we know it all, but sometimes you just need to go to your mother and seek her advice and see what she thinks, what is her perspective on things, and take her advice into consideration. And so, even more so, do we do for our Heavenly Mother. And King St. Ferdinand shows this very much in his devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, but also to his earthly mother. He goes to his mother and says, Dearest Mother and Most Sweet Lady, of what value to me is this kingdom of Castile that you gave to me by your renunciation? Of what value is my marriage to my most noble wife? who was brought from distant lands? Of what value is the concern with which you satisfy my wishes with your motherly love, even before I make them known? What good are all these things if I become soft with the easy life? If the flower of my youth passes away without leaving fruit, if the early promise of my reign is not fulfilled, the hour determined by God has come unless I, lazy and weak as I am, do not recognize it. The time has come to save my Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all kings reign in a war against the Moors, the enemies of the holy faith. The circumstances in our kingdom are now favorable, and the Moors are burning for a fight. Jesus Christ is on our side. 
while the infidel pernicious apostate Muhammad is on theirs. What do we wait for? I plead with you, my mother, to whom after God I owe everything I have. Give me your approval to start the war. And after this, the king whose heart had been filled with the spirit of God remained silent. And most of those present cried from emotion, impressed by the king's resolution and his glorious purpose. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement that King St. Ferdinand Seer begs his mother for her approval before going to war. He ends up receiving her permission, and she receives her blessing. And, she, he, and his wife carves for him out of ivory a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary and gives it to him. And he takes it and puts it into his saddle, and he rides off to battle, always having the statue of Our Lady right there. And actually, if you go into his church in Spain today, you can see that same statue, the statue that he took into battle with him everywhere he went. Now, I'll spare you the details of the, of the battle for now. I might come back to it later uh, just because it's cool, but uh, moving on for other things that are less cool but more important. So going back in time, because he became king when he was about 18, 19 years old. And, uh, but whenever he was 16 years old, I mentioned earlier about his father, how his father was a scoundrel. So his mother was a saintly woman, but his father was a scoundrel. In fact, it was, he was well known for raging war against other Christians. He would go and try to take over the lands of his Christian brothers constantly. It was a very evil thing. So when he was 16, he was summoned by his father. He was ordered that his father, by his father to come to his kingdom because he wanted his son to learn about his kingdom and his place because he was going to give the kingdom of Leon to his son. So knowing that this would cause moral suffering. Now here's a difference. A moral suffering versus a physical suffering. Which do you think is worse? A physical suffering or a moral suffering? Well, most people would say, you know, a physical suffering would be because I know I don't like getting hurt. I don't like being hungry. I don't like getting uh, tortured. These things are terrible. These things are not good. But a moral suffering is actually worse. A moral suffering causes us to be in a situation where it compromises the, our soul. It puts us in a situation where we could compromise our soul. And that is so much worse. And that's why we have to have moral courage. We have to have moral courage because the virtue of courage is something that has, gets us to stand up against something that we are afraid to do. But whenever physical things are attacking us, many of us can stand and many of us can fight against anything, a physical thing attacking us. But what about the situation when you realize you're going to be derided, you're going to be hated, you're going to be scorned, you're going to be separated from your community, you're going to be kicked out of your profession, all these different jobs, all these different things, all your friends, your family, all these things can be taken away from you. And it has no physical damage to you, but it has a moral damage to you, an emotional damage to you. Well, King St. Ferdinand knew that by leaving his home, leaving his, his, his mother, he would endure moral suffering because one, he'd be influenced by his father, whose father was a scoundrel. He did not want to be exposed to these kind of things, this what we would call a near occasion of sin. He'd be leaving his sisters. He'd be leaving his mother whom he loved. And he'd be leaving his people. And so he decided that he had to go. And he said famously, as beautiful words, I want to make sure I get the quote exactly right. He said, knowing this would be a grave moral suffering, he lowered his head and told his mother, Christ redeemed not in his mother's sweet arms, but on the hard arms of the cross. And his night shall not serve him in any other way. 
So then he attended mass, received communion, kissed his mother's hand, and left. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That is what we should have. Wait, a calm, courage, and confidence. Those are the three virtues. There's many virtues of King St. Ferdinand, but three virtues that we should focus on and that I want to get across. Calm, courage, and confidence. Calm, realizing there's an error, realizing there is something grave that he has to deal with, something that is morally going to challenge him, and he doesn't freak out. He's calm. He's resolute. He takes the situation. He analyzes the situation. He recognizes the problem. And then courage, moral courage, recognizing our Lord had the option to stay in the arms of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Imagine being in the arms of the Blessed Virgin, the one, the woman who loves us more than anything else in the world, the woman with the most sweetest and softest voice. And you realize, I am going to leave her arms and stretch out my arms on the cold wood of the cross and die. King St. Ferdinand saw that and said, that's exactly right. And I am his knight. And so I cannot do anything less than what my master and my king has done. And so I too will suffer. And so he goes out and he meets with his father. And what's the last thing? Confidence. Confidence in who? Confidence in our lady, not confidence in our own abilities. Because if we rely on our own strength, we can do nothing. We will not succeed in anything that we do if we have confidence in ourselves. We have this mentality, this worldly mentality that we need to have confidence in ourselves, that we need self-help and these kind of things. But instead, let us rely on Christ. Let us rely on the Blessed Virgin. Let's have confidence in them and they will save us. They will show us the way and they will bring us to victory. Going forward, skipping ahead a lot of years in uh, his entire childhood and moving to when he becomes king, which if you, I, I highly recommend reading the book because when he becomes king, glorious, beautiful ceremony of him becoming king. But I'm going to skip that and go straight to whenever he becomes king, his father, and his father just keeps coming up. His father, the scoundrel, decided he was upset because his mother gave the crown to her son and said, you will be king. And, her, and his father was saying, no. That is my kingdom, that is my wife, and that is my kingdom. And so he was going to bring his army in to take over Castile. Not good. And so King St. Ferdinand, recognizing this was an issue, recognizing this was a problem, he said, no, I cannot go to war with my father. For one, it is wrong to go to war with our Christian brothers. And for two, it is wrong to fight your own father. I cannot do this. This is wrong. So I'll leave that hanging there for a second, and I'm going to move back a little bit. Don Alonso, I think his name is, he was a duke in the, the town, in the, in the uh, count, in the um, kingdom of Castile. And he favored his father. He favored his father, and he did not want to pledge loyalty to King St. Ferdinand. And so he starts a rebellion in the kingdom. And he starts slandering his mother and saying how she betrayed her husband and started spreading all these lies and falsehoods about his mother. Now imagine someone insulting your mom. Like that is like literally the worst thing you can possibly do. But then, just to make matters worse, he just starts destroying towns, raising them to the ground, burning it so no one can live there anymore. And so King St. Ferdinand sends his knights and they captured him. And when they bring him to him, it's an amazing story. I don't want to read it to you. It's going to take too long. But 
I'll just tell you the, the gist of it. He brings them to him, and he's filled with anger. He's filled with rage at this man, the man who has killed his people, the man who has destroyed his towns, the man who has insulted his mother, who has cursed his mother. And he looks at him, and he's boiling with rage. So what does he do? Well, he does what any good king would do. He has calm, courage, and confidence. He's calm. He calms himself down. He goes into where? He goes into the chapel to pray. He prays, and our Lord speaks to him in the interior of his heart. He hears a locution in his heart telling him, yes, you have a right to kill this man because you are king, so you have the right. It is just for you to kill this man, to execute him. But I am asking you to have mercy. Just as I had mercy, I am asking you to have mercy. And so now here's the problem, though. He's a young man. He's 18 years old. He's a new king. And he realizes that if he has mercy on this guy, if he chooses not to execute him, the people will see him as weak. They will say, this man, he's just a boy still. He can't be our ruler. He doesn't even have the courage to execute someone. And so what does he have to do? He has to have courage, not physical courage, but moral courage, recognizing he now knows what our Lord desires. Now he has to choose. And our Lord has already told him, whatever you choose, you're not committing a sin. You're not doing anything wrong. It is just for you to execute him, but I'm asking you not to. So what do you do in this situation? Well, he has moral courage. He decides he will take the insults. He will take the people whispering behind his back. And so he then pardons him. He throws him in prison. He eventually gets out. And he is actually the reason why his father invades. So now we go back to that story. So his father is invading. And he does not want to go to war with his father. So what does he do? Calm, courage, and confidence. I forgot to mention the confidence one in the last story real quick. Confidence and Our Lady, he knew and he was told by his men, if you let this man go, he will cause you more problems in the future. And he knew that Our Lady, her will would be done. And so he let her go anyways, even though he knew that it was probably not a good idea, which turned out to be true because he's the reason why his father ends up invading. So what does he do? Calm, courage, and confidence. He sends out the bishop to go meet with his father and do diplomatic work. And he, they, on horseback, go meet his father at the border. They has this great diplomatic speech. Everything goes well. And skipping ahead, he ends up, the bishop comes back to tell him that peace has been uh, brokered. Good news. When the bishop comes to bring the news to King St. Ferdinand, where is King St. Ferdinand? King St. Ferdinand is in the chapel. He had stayed in the chapel for days, waiting for the return of the bishop to let him know what the news was. And he had his arms outstretched like this the entire time, praying. He had blood drenched. He was drenched in blood from the pain that he was suffering from being on his knees for so long. He had confidence in Our Lady, and he knew that Our Lady's will would be done. And so he had courage, moral courage, that he knew he had to do something that would not cause war and not shed Christian blood. Finally, I want to end with, okay, one other thing real quick. 
for the ladies, I highly recommend this, if only for the story of his, of his queen. Whenever he, uh, whenever he gets married, absolutely beautiful story. Uh, when he, uh, his mother goes and meets the queen, it brings her, and they get married. Absolutely stunning. It's just a beautiful story, but I can't get into that, unfortunately. Okay. The last thing I want to say is how King St. Ferdinand died. King St. Ferdinand, and so I'm skipping way ahead. He had many expedites. He had many battles, many glorious things happen, but skipping all the way to the end of his life. He has now become the king of Castile and the king of Leon. His father died. He inherited the land. There was a whole debacle there, but I can't tell you that story. Uh, so eventually, he's on his deathbed. What does he do? This glorious king, this man of heroic virtue, he orders that all the beautiful things in his room be removed. Everything. Everything gets, gets gotten rid of. They bring an altar into his room. He sets up two candles and a cross. And he looks at the cross and he prays. He's sickly, but when he sees the cross come out, he stumbles out of bed and gets on his knees. And he starts praying. He asks for a priest to come in. And he makes a general confession of his whole life, weeping in tears for all the sins he ever committed. And people who overheard his confession were saying, these sins are not that, these are not that bad. He didn't do anything. And, but to him, every small infraction he recognized as it was every small infraction that nailed our Lord to the cross. And he was in tears, begging for forgiveness. He has the people around him, his family come in. He speaks to his sons and tells his eldest son, you will inherit my kingdom. Be a good king. And his son was a good king. And then finally, as he's starting to die, he recognizes that his end is near. He asks that they all sing the Te Deum. And if you don't know, the Te Deum is a song of thanksgiving that you give to God. A song that gives thanks to God for all the good things. And they start singing the Te Deum. And as the Te Deum ends, he breathes his last. And that is a life of King St. Ferdinand. And those are the virtues that we need to learn from him. Calm, courage, and confidence, even on his deathbed. Calm, recognizing that his end is near. Courage, bringing, getting rid of it all, getting rid of everything, recognizing that this is a time where he needs to be on his knees, not in bed. And confidence in Our Lady, recognizing that he has trust that Our Lady and Our Lord will bring him to the heavenly kingdom. And now he is King St. Ferdinand. And so let's end in a Hail Mary, asking Our Lady for the virtues of calm, courage, and confidence. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. King St. Ferdinand. King St. Ferdinand. King St. Ferdinand. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise be to God. I hope you enjoyed that video. I hope that that was edifying to you. It inspired some militancy in your soul, some counter-revolutionary spirit. Uh, if not, then, you know, let me know in the comments down below. So maybe you won't, you didn't like this one. Maybe you will like the next one next week on Santa Maria de la Luz. Okay, so tune in next week to find out about her and her amazing witness as a Cristero martyr. Anyway, let me uh, leave you off with a Hail Mary even though we just prayed to Hail Mary, but when I'm recording this part of it, I haven't prayed to Hail Mary, so I'm going to pray to Hail Mary. So we're going to do that. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share this with someone you think will find this edifying and helpful. So with that, let's pray to Hail Mary and uh, 
And we'll end with the show. In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum mulieribus, e benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et nora mortis nostre. Amen.